Well, hello you. Hello you. You've got a po- you've got a poster of a distant universe behind you. I am entranced tr- and transfixed. Oh, there you go. Well, I, and I only just put it up in the last few minutes because we were talking, dear listeners, we were talking about the things behind me. I I work up in in an attic space, um, and it's bare plaster behind me. So, a little, and I love it up here because everyone leaves me alone. I'm on the <laughs> second floor of the house, and I'm left alone to work, which is brilliant. Um. But it does sometimes feel a little bit odd up here, so I was like, "Yes, I'm going to put some things, going to put some things up." And I, I do like the galaxy poster. That was that was a scientific uh, workshop that I organised when I was working at the University of Sussex um, Ooh, in Leiden. Nice. Ah, so it it's was. not not just a pretty picture. It's a whole, there's a whole piece behind it, a whole story. There is a whole story behind, it, and it brings back lots of memories of the people I was working with and. Um, workshops and herding cats and late night conversations with people who'd probably drunk a bit too much um and that's always funny for me because i don't drink very much so i generally stay very sober uh so that's always quite that's always quite entertaining <laughs> awesome that's looking very it's looking very nice i have to say thank you thank you per- personality coming to the bare plaster walls is always a good thing what's important in your space actually we're kind of talking about space oh. things weren't we what's important in your space let me, let me spin around in a moment of pure audio genius um all sorts of things actually so you can probably see i've got some some stuffed toys yeah at the top so the various gifts and things i've amassed over the years one of them is 35 years old Oh, okay, that's done well. Wow! I think it came, it came in a washing machine. Yeah, so the, the sort of white cat. She's yeah. She's third. I'm trying to now point in more audio genius. Um, <laughs> yeah, she she came in a washing she came in a washing machine, and um, we got this washing machine delivered. And I said to my mum, "There's a cat in the washing machine," and she didn't quite say, "Don't be so silly," but it was it was that kind. Of, no, there's not a cat. I was like, "Mummy, there's a cat." So I was like, I was about five, four, five, five, six by this point. And lo and behold, yeah, in the Sanusi washing machine, that's when they gave out free stuff. There was a, a little well, stuffed cat. And well, yeah, she's What else have we got? Books, obviously. Copy of Brain Meets World from Barry Wheel Scientist. Always a good read. So, Brain, I um, don't know anything about that, Brain Meets World. Ah, it's very, is, very For very listeners, marvelous. there's a bookshelf behind Neil, and it's oh, got yeah. <laughs> stuffed toys on the top, which are beautiful. And there's, I can see three shelves of books. And Brain Meets World is in the middle, on the middle shelf, um, cover out so I, it's very cover visible out. it's um publication from the amazing behavioral scientist oh of course so, yes you're well in the behavioral scientist crew um, aren't you well they are rather fabulous i'm signaling <laughs> in the show notes they are rather marvelous um but yeah so it's the they kind of did a, a publication uh, a couple of years ago now i think one year two years ago it is actually their second one i think i missed the, the first one but yeah the second one what else have i got on there yeah, just all sorts, really. I've got the number plate for my first ever car. I was wondering if that was from your first car. And what was yeah. your first car? So it's a white 1968 VW Beetle. Mm. And it's, the number plate is still actually got... I suddenly realised I've moved away from the microphone so you can't hear me. Um, it's actually got the original dealer sticker still oh, on it. Oh, goodness. From Dollis Hill. Yeah, Northwest Garage in Dollis Hill. And the phone number was 6171. Before they even went to five-digit phone numbers, so yeah, just just random, mostly books. Obviously, being a bookshelf, yeah, at the top, and then just random and random stuff down the bottom. But it, it's nice. It kind of it's obviously nice to have somewhere to put books, but it's also quite nice because being on Zoom calls or not Zoom calls, being on any kind of calls at the moment, 
always seeing yourself. I think we spoke about that before, that kind of weirdness mm. of having yourself and your vision. But mm. it's quite nice then to see things behind me. And certainly when I'm talking to people, um, a lot of people kind of use avatars or they use those kind of backgrounds. So you don't really get a sense. I mean, that I'm a nosy mm. bitch at the best of times. Let's be honest. I like seeing what's going on. But actually having something real behind, I find, allows a bit of a connection. And you do kind of get that. Oh, what's on your bookshelf? Mm. What's the, what are the stuffed toys? People won't know me now because the stuffed toys just stare down at me all day. So every now and, <laughs> every now and again, when it gets particularly hysterical on a Friday or something, yeah, conversations about what the toys have been up to and, and that sort of thing. So it's a bit, it's a bit of humanity. Yes. I, I am always slightly disappointed when someone has one of those backgrounds um and you know everyone can do what they like I'm, I'm not going to pronounce upon it but i'm i always feel a slight sense of disappointment like i'm being like like i'm maybe that there's there's a kind of shielding or you know mm. kind of a, a sense of being shut out feels a bit much it's not all about me but i, I do i i know what you mean about that sense just sense of connection because i think the personal space or the spaces that we're in is it's an it's part of the relationship it's part of the interaction isn't it so yeah, yeah i'm and, with and you the, there and certainly i mean obviously the last few years have been very different i mean those of us who work remotely for many years it's a, a different kettle of fish but it has changed those relationships and you don't get those sort of water cooler moments and so that you kind of used to get pre pre kind of covid and whatever but i mean i understand i mean i've worked with people in the past who've got let's say quite small houses and they've got some kids and actually that in order to create definition between home and work the background actually allows them to inhabit mm. a space they might be sitting literally at their dining table with family everywhere but that's then a it's a it demarcates a work it's a kind of digital demarcation yeah. of a workspace yeah. so yeah I, kind of, I get it from that point but i know see i like to see what people see what people it's got nice in their to know what someone's context is isn't it and i mean i completely understand that thing about you know there may be a bit of privilege involved in having the space also, if someone is around their dining room table with kids, family members, other things, then that that is an important part of their context. And I guess I would, I am curious about that. But it's up to some, it's up to an individual if they want to share it or not. Sure, sure, yeah. exactly. But there we go. So that's a, a virtual tour of my bookcase in moments of audio genius. It's fab. It's fab. I love it. We've never, I've seen your bookcase on so many of our calls and we've never actually spoken about it so that is true I've, yeah there's all the business i kind of arranged it so the business ones are kind of in that middle shelf that you can see yeah, all the kind of random pulp stuff is down, <laughs> down the bottom <laughs> of the top, but just kind of oh, actually, what is down the bottom oh no the shelf below that is the biography shelf so oh, janice okay. lots of janice joplin obviously bit of robert moses a good life janice joplin bit of Werner herzog bit of louis theroux all the kind of real people stuff is, is down there. Not, Always not down that I've read all of them. But, you know, they're there. They're staring at me. They're ready. They're, and I'm ready. They're ready. They're That's sitting in your to-be-read pile. Which grows. It just grows. Oh, went don't, into, yeah. Don't even, oh, honestly. Went into this bookshop the other day. What was I can't remember what bookshop it was. It wasn't the £4 bookshop in Bristol, which is the most dangerous which is balance. It is, but it's like, it just, it pulls you in from the street, from Park Road. It's just like, come to me, come and buy books. And it's kind of rude <laughs> not to, they're so cheap. Um, I had just wandered in somewhere the other day. Come on, some charity shop. I was like, oh, I love that, I love that, I love that, I love that. Filled up my bag. So, oh, dear. More. Danger, danger. <laughs> be fine it'll be it'll all be fine that's what i've decided and you know i'm mm, no actually i won't mention that for reasons yeah i'm not i'm just not going to go there it's fine but yeah it Fair was enough. book related 
So excellent. Some bibliotech secrets must be kept. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It's been three it's starters we mean to go on, let's be honest. You want meandering all over the place. <laughs> We've got Lost three bookish space. listeners left somewhere. It'll be fine. But there, there was in our pre-show chat. There was a very kind of lo- locate, kind of located in physical space kind of theme cropped up, mm, which is partly is why actually I, I, I mean I really enjoyed our conversation about the spaces that we're in anyway. But partly I was thinking, oh well, actually maybe this is just manifestation of, of the theme of today's podcast. You never, you never know. It might get there. <laughs> yeah, might it might it might it might it. we said we'd talk we said we'd chat about something I put on LinkedIn earlier first. We did. Keep keep us to order. That's the one. I'm, That's well, the and actually, and actually your your journey of, of becoming a business owner. Business business backmate? <laughs> business owner I'm, for sure. I'm not sure that there are many positive connotations with the idea of a business magnate. Um I think of ridiculous elderly white men who have too much money that uh, is too much privilege true. and exploiting everyone around them maybe that's not you know necessarily what a business magnate is but i, I could go with business owner for sure business owner there we go but it has been, it's been quite a journey because how long have you been officially business ownering well now? i so i went freelance and set up a limited company in 2014 wow so, so really that's my that? goodness that's night it was it was August 2014, so that's over nine years now. Um, Coming up for your, your anniversary, I nearly said centenary. I was like, that's the wrong word. <laughs> your, that would be impressive, what is, yeah. What is, your, what is the decade? decade uh, you're, you're coming up for your decadery. Congratulations. Yeah, decadery, that'll do. Let's, let's have that. Well, and, and you you know about the difference between working for yourself and being employed because you've worked for yourself and we know we've both we've spoken about this haven't we it's it's very different but I think the first certainly the first couple of years that I was freelance um I didn't I hadn't really grasped just how different it was and I I mean I think many of us do many freelancers I've spoken to do this and maybe and, and actually I'm trying I'm actually trying to get away from calling myself a freelancer and call myself a business owner now because it's part of the shift is that I think when we first go into business for ourselves many of us order our days and bring a lot of norms and a lot of rules from our employed lives if, if we have been employed and I certainly was for years so we bring a lot of rules from that world and how that works that becomes our template that's our template that's my, that was my template mm-hmm. for work was being employed being employed in some you know a couple of big organizations and being employed in in a startup a very small organization um but it meant that I didn't really embrace the idea of being a business owner and and in fact I didn't really embrace the idea of being a business owner until earlier this year when I I stopped my part-time employment I gave up my part-time employment um because of my plans to emigrate with my husband um and wanting to do be able to work more remotely but also that after about eight years I I kind of got to the point where I thought if I'm I need to I need to actually jump in with both feet to working for myself and being a business owner because I realized that the security of my part-time job and the the kind of the the mental load and and my emotional investment in my part-time job 
was a really good excuse not to go all in on my business and and not to embrace the bits of running a business that I hadn't hadn't had been shying away from. Okay, I mean that does sound that sounds like a really interesting set of shifts. I mean, did you find then sort of linear steps, if you like, or did you find actually that you sort of looped your thinking sort of looped around over time from being oh yeah I'm kind of a freelancer to more periods where you thought young yeah, business owner but you were still technically freelancing mm. has it been a sort of a has it been a, a curve what's what's your adoption curve God, you can tell me you change your work at the moment can't <laughs> Ooh, you adoption curves. <laughs> adoption um, curves that's a fantastic question and it's been very loopy I'd say very little in in life is actually linear despite my best intentions I tried tried for many years I battled for many years to make the things in my life a lot more linear life resists that as, as um jeff goldblum says in um jurassic park life uh, finds a way so i'm not talking about dinosaurs managing to breed but um <laughs> life has its reference. own patterns and curves so uh, it's been it's been a journey of a lot of kind of things emerging and trying to figure out what that means trying to figure out what i really want uh trying to uh, also learning and understanding why Work, being employed didn't really work very well for me um mm. for a long time I thought it was that I yeah, had had found difficult workplaces to work in um but I think there you know there's a whole set of things about being part of a big organization that can be challenging um sure. there's a whole set of things about working in very small organizations that can be challenging um I found it incredibly difficult to really stay clear about my needs and and what I needed to look after my well-being which I think is the main reason that um employment didn't work so well for me certainly full-time employment didn't work so well for me um but it, yeah it's been it's been kind of things emerging and bubbling up and then maybe going away again and and one of the biggest realizations and the, the thing that of this year and the thing that my post is about is about marketing myself and the the irony here is fantastic because I've worked as a marketing communications consultant for a long time now it's my last employed role full-time employed role and it's been what I've set my business up to do and can I market myself do I market myself no (laughs) (laughs) marketing myself is a huge blind spot for me which is incredible considering my day or what what my day job has been and and in fact, it probably it also bibbling along as a marketer, maybe kind of base working with word of mouth. Um, I probably wouldn't have needed to worry too much about my own marketing. And and it is really when I start thinking about what I want to do more, what really drives me, what really feels like a bigger purpose for me, and training as a coach. Um, it I it was at that point that I realised that in order to get a stream of clients um I was going to have to actually market and promote myself because it's it's many smaller pieces of work so as a marketer I tend to do quite a large piece of work I tend to work on retainer quite a lot um as a coach there's I'm imagining there'll be more turnover um I want you know I'll be working with many more clients for smaller amounts of time so I really do need to get get myself out there and also because it's I mean it, it's not that I've it's not that I never work on things I'm passionate about. I do, but coaching really is, it's it's very much about people. It's very much about my passion for supporting women who run their own businesses to find the ways of working that really work for them. And 
because it's a fashion thing, actually, I need to stand up and be more visible. One of the things about being a marketer and a communications person is that once I've got a relationship with someone I want to work with, actually, me, I kind of fade into the background quite a lot. And the work is all about the client. Mm-hmm. With coaching, one, there are many more relationships to build. And two, my personality is is quite important. And what matters to me and what I value is perhaps you know needs to come to the fore more i would argue so again this is about being visible and my visible rather than uh, yeah being visible rather than hiding behind my work i suppose mm. and it's i mean it's such a different skill set i mean it, i think it is hard to see for almost from the outside in quite a lot mm. i mean this is why I mean, if you look at kind of big businesses and so on why do they i don't know why do they why do they employ people like you very excellent self me when I was in the the consult world um why do they go to agencies to do stuff I mean even if you look at some of the kind of big um some of the biggest companies in the world have got great design teams and great thinking teams but they have to go outside to get someone to deliver their next transformation team transformation program or mm. ad campaign whatever so it's that sometimes that fresh perspective and I think it's I really resonate with that what, what you're saying because actually it is it is a really different skill being able to do it for yourself Mm. because obviously doing it for clients you're able to reflect back I mean, you're able to get there's a different level of feedback I think mm. as well so I used to find kind of going in and developing kind of marketing plans or developing kind of communication strategies whatever actually it was quite nice to get that feedback even if they hated it thankfully they didn't too often that occasionally you kind of got the feedback that kind of said yeah you haven't quite hit the mark we're all human um but you never get that doing it for yourself I always sort of found that a bit frustrating because I've sometimes been kind of getting up in your head a little bit. And it's like, how do I, how do you break this? How do you break this thing? You know, you need to do it. Mm. Um, I know you said you, you've struck up some really good relationships with other people who are kind of helping you kind of work yeah. through that and so on, which is, again, I think is, is super valuable. But it is hard. That's something you never is. really think about going into necessarily starting out like oh yeah I can go and work for clients and obviously sometimes I was looked at and thought well actually client work if I do a good piece of client work that becomes my next piece of self-marketing sort of thing so mm. I'm marketing myself I'd be like hey look what I did for whoever the building firm or NG firm or whoever I was working for at the time sort of thing but yeah it's it's tricky it is tricky and I really liked what you post on, on LinkedIn as well, because you were sort of talking about, um, and I thought very honestly as well, so I sort of thank, again, thank you for that. I think it's it's refreshing to see someone bring that level of honesty. I think LinkedIn is, is drifting back a little bit more into the, hey, I've done a thing, come and look at the thing that I've done. Um, and so it's, it's nice to find mm. kind of a genuine human kind of connection and so on. Um, but I thought it was really interesting to, where you were talking about um, yeah, you sort of said, was it? I mean, I'll read it from the screen. There we go. Um, instead of my marketing, I made a choice to concentrate on two big pieces of client work and pushed making myself visible to one side. Mm. I thought that's, and I understood that, but I was kind of, I wanted to unpack that a bit more. And kind of, how did that, how did that make you feel doing, actually doing that and kind of reflecting back on it now? What are your, your sort of thoughts and then your feelings? Oh, that is a, what a wonderful gift of a question. Thank you. Um, but so there's a little bit in the background that's perhaps important that the two big projects are writing projects. So I'm still doing a lot of writing work at the moment. Um, and I'm doing really interesting writing work. Actually, I have to say, I feel very, I'm very happy about that. Um, 
and but the, the thing I really want to promote um and the thing I want to build my stall for I guess build my shop front for is my coaching work so again that thing about hiding behind my work when I'm writing and in coaching kind of wanting and needing and I think it's because I I do want to be more visible actually I don't think it's just that I think it's just about I don't want to do marketing anymore I think it's also that I would like to be more visible and that's one of the reasons that coaching appeals to me um so it's it's partly it's really it's felt very much like um uh doing paid work that brings the money in good work sure but not necessarily um but but not devoting myself to the 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 new business that I've spent time and effort and energy on and I've committed myself to making a go of it so it's kind of like staying in my comfort zone quite the doing the paid work is staying in my comfort zone in a number of ways it's doing paid work it's doing work you know kind of that I've already got for clients I already know uh, and it's doing writing work whereas promoting my coaching business is not only making myself visible but it is it's a new business it's more aligned with my passions um it feels more risky for me it's it's more vulnerable for me to be talking about coaching uh, and 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 marketing the need to market my business than it is to eat and I don't really talk about my writing work because it's not something I particularly want to I'm particularly interested in promoting I, I get the writing work I need to that's great um so yeah it does it feels a lot more vulnerable um and and I'm really glad actually to hear you say that it felt kind of like a, a, a refreshingly honest post because I, I'm also I'm kind of wondering about joining I keep having this conversation myself about joining the throng of people or writing long thoughtful posts on LinkedIn and I you know am I just kind of you know tapping into the formula I don't really want to just be formulaic about it so I'm glad that it resonated with you and that's nice feedback um and yeah I suppose what the thing is I've made a I made a commitment to myself to post uh, regularly which for me at the moment looks like two I mean it'd be great if I were posting three or four times a week or would it maybe that's just a bit much I do find that that can be a bit much when other people are posting that long in but to post one or you know twice a week is is my goal for myself and I did one last week um and I, I really feel like I've not been living up to my bargain, my agreement with myself that I'm going to give my coaching business everything I've got. And I'm going to step outside my comfort zone enough to make a go of this. I feel like I didn't do that last week. On the other hand, I was I made conscious choices about that. I was aware that I was letting my marketing go a bit. And I had, I had a last minute job that came in that was brilliant for my cash flow and really nice, nice work with a nice person I've known for a long time. Um, and it was very satisfying to do that with them. And and another big piece of work, which is brilliant, it's a white paper I'm working on. It's just, I can't, I'm not going to say too much about it um, before it's published, but it's, it's really interesting. Uh, and I did need, I needed, gosh, I feel like I'm talking an awful lot today. Um, it's fascinating. So let me, let me wrap up this point. I needed chunks of time where I could just focus on that. Actually, so that's one of my challenges with being visible and networking and being on social media and growing my network either online or in person is that's quite it's quite bitty mm. I kind of am dipping in and out of different conversations and different things or I might be going to a networking event which means travel and then being at an event and then travel back 
it's kind of bitty and I like that I enjoy flitting from thing to thing and tuning into what's going on in the world around me and for the people around me and it's at the kind of the opposite end of the scale from getting into a piece of a deep piece of writing work for two three four five hours Mm. and I realized I wasn't giving myself those kind of long chunks of time to really get into something so is that I think you know the there's that dynamic going on as well deep work in fact I ended up in a chat in the comments with Anya who's a brilliant photographer who I'm doing headshots for my business I'm doing some marketing stuff tomorrow Yay. so I'm do 15 minute session which is brilliantly affordable for me at the Fabulous. moment and and I'm going to get at least two headshots for my business but I got into a chat with her about you know the difference between making time for deep work and getting into marketing she made a really good point that sometimes she just needs a bit of instant gratification and actually you know creating something for social media is brilliant for that so I suppose I'm exploring the kind of different motivations and drivers and and trying to keep it in balance it's fine if one week I don't do so much on my marketing that's okay as long as it's not a long it's not not a long-term pattern um so hence in the post what i decided was a good thing to share was my questions to help keep myself in balance rather than just what I used to do was beat myself up and and I think this is easy to do right oh I didn't do my marketing this week oh I didn't do my marketing this week either oh it's been a month I haven't done really done much on marketing oh well never mind I'll just forget about that because I feel Mm. crap about it and actually just stay in conversation with myself about it well what's going on what else is important when I get sidetracked how do I come back in um What's the patterns that are emerging here? What things am I kind of avoiding or shying away from? Awesome. I mean, I think it's interesting you mentioned balance because that was the word that was buzzing around mm. in the back of my brain. And it is about, it's about finding that balance. And it is about finding, finding your way back in. Again, the other thing you, you brought up there was um, actually meditation practice. So if you mm. follow, if sort of do any kind of, mindfulness practice essentially following following your breath counting your breaths or just kind of breathe in the same mentally breathing in breathing out and whatever and actually giving name to the thing that you're doing if you listen to any kind of good podcast or find a good youtube person anyone who's a good teacher will always advocate for you being kind to yourself and bring it back because you're in the middle of I don't know, four breaths in and like this morning i suddenly thought i need to write something on a post-it note so that i can send it to someone else whatever but bring it back just come back to that central point and it's just it just pinged pinged across kind of resonated with something completely different with that idea of yeah just bringing back having that central sort of drumbeat in that case the, the breath in in your case in this conversation that kind of that marketing drumbeat that would always be there but accepting mm-hmm. that sometimes you'll drift and just kindly bringing back and go okay i want this is something that i want to do i'm here i want to do it and that was actually something else that i, I Something else you said, it's just, I told you, it got my brain buzzing earlier, I was like, all sorts of things. Something I read years ago about, um, it, was, it was an offhand comment someone made on social media about reframing, reframing talking to their kids. There was someone who travelled a lot. Ooh. That was it. They, they travelled a lot for work and they'd be all over the country, just in the States, they'd be all over the country. And they'd often say, just so they get to some point, they go, I need to go and talk to my children or I need to go and phone my kids or whatever. Unless something would happen, it would it would slip and, and they'd feel really bad about it and whatever got in the way. It was something important that kind of couldn't be got rid of. And they made the calls and they said goodnight and, and all that, so it wasn't bad. Probably made them sound like really bad parenting. I can't remember who it was. But I remember them saying that the way they 
supported themselves around it was instead of saying I need to, I want to. And of course they did always want to phone their kids and say goodbye mm. to their kids. That was something that was really important to them. And then expressing it as need and it just resonated a bit because you're sort of saying, oh, I, I need to, to work on something. Actually, I think you get a lot of passion from working on, working within, working with your own marketing, your own getting yourself out there and being visible. But I wonder, would it feel different if you expressed it as want rather than need? Oh, that's really nice. It echoes a conversation I've been having with someone else who is also a coach. Um, she asked the brilliant question, well, <laughs> well, she she made quite a wry observation. She said, "Marketing isn't making itself very appealing to me." <laughs> um, but her point was, "What if marketing was something nurturing?" Mm. You know, many business owners do think of marketing as a chore, and it's reflected in that that linguistic thing you just picked up that language thing. I need to, and and that's such a it's such a thing in in our culture, isn't it? On our work culture about. I need to do this. I need to do that. It, it, even things we enjoy can become rods for our own backs because mm. we need to do them. We need to do them at a certain time. Um, whereas that shift to I want to do this and finding the joy in it. and find, I, I do get a lot of joy, actually, from being in conversation with people, but also in on reflecting on what's going on for me, what's important for me. How can I talk to myself more kindly uh, mm-hmm. and make marketing or or even make things that I feel a bit more vulnerable about just make them easier nicer make them part of something I want something that's supporting me mm-hmm. instead of adding to the things in the world that seem threatening honestly there's plenty of them without me doing anything so yes, I, yes. I think that's that's such that's such a wonderful observation and question yeah what if it was something I want to do and that's kind of how I approached it this morning actually after I'd, I mean I, I started with a heavy heavy kind of nudge of actually I really need to do something about this but then I thought well what and what's live what's in my mind at the moment what's going on for me and what what my other business owners relate to in what's going which is which is exactly what my coaching is about mm-hmm. what have I found what am I reading and hearing what am I hearing from my client about what's going on for them and what how can we relate to it a bit differently to mm. make life more fun to get more energy flowing to do more of what we love to do that's the name of the game isn't it find find the fun finding the you know finding the fun is really important and i avoided it at work for a long time because i thought that <laughs> wasn't okay i thought i was never going to get anywhere never going to make any money never going to be taken seriously never going to get any prestige I had to be really serious about work and my goodness that's probably the biggest lie I've ever told myself oh I hear I hear a podcast title coming oh the biggest lie I ever told myself nice (laughs) we could get all sorts of strange reader comments on that one yeah we could we could so I'm curious to know how how this might manifest in your work life. So at the moment you're you're employed. I am. But yes. you know there are there are different elements. I sound so, I sound so surprised. <laughs> I still am. <laughs> <laughs> there are different there are different elements to being employed. There is a, a networking and a kind of a you know building your network and building your influence. There is there is developing your own personal brand is is important. Um 
within employment and you know within a career so I wonder if any of this resonates for you yes in short <laughs> I'm also thinking <laughs> I was back to but I was a consultant yes um yes in charge by the hour no um yeah I think it is I mean it's obviously different so the company I'm working in at the moment is thousand odd people I think mm. and it's really interesting and a lot of the work I'm doing is about change currently we are we're going through a transformation project and so I'm sort of thinking not only about project change but systemic that sounds very grand systemic change and how change shows up in the business and how change is actually business as usual for so many businesses as well and and what that feels like what we think about it how it kind of how all of that sort of stuff manifests and there is definitely something around how do you get out into the business how do you make that name for yourself sounds a, a little bit wrong but become that sort of move into that kind of strategic advisor position so i mean i i like doing stuff i will be honest um my happy place is in strategy i can i can turn i can turn a word i can sort of turn an image um i can turn odds and sods when i need to my happy place is kind of in strategy and systems thinking in in that kind of bigger bigger space but how do you push that out into a larger business how do you become that how do you grow those i find the questions are around how do we grow connections how do we grow um influence and i work very closely with my team as well that's it gives me such a joy to see my my team going off and i was talking to my team today and i have spoken to so and so they just reeled off this list of names of people that i i know of in the business but i've never had calls to have conversations They're like yep we're going to talk to these people we've got all this information coming in and i was like oh this is this is fabulous so seeing that and actually how do we how do we create that ethos within the business so it's that kind of intra-networking um how does that work with with competing pressures and difficulties? So yeah, so though I've not got to market myself for my living currently, um, I keep saying currently like something on the horizon. There isn't. I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing, but it's you know you know always change. Change is the only constant in the universe, etc. Um, but yeah, how how do you grow that, and how do you grow it collaborative collaboratively with others as well? Because what I think is interesting is in that business. In the world of business and in businesses, it is quite a finite pool. And I think a lot of traditional kind of relationship building or kind of marketing, self-marketing, whatever, sometimes always, sometimes feels like a zero-sum game. It's like who wins and who loses. Actually, I'm interested in how can we all how can we all in win in? How can we all win? That kind of rising mm-hmm. tide lifts all, all boats thing. And actually, how do we how do we chart? How do we see where we are? How do we see clearly where we are at the moment? How do we see clearly where we need to go? How do we understand what that change journey looks like? How do we understand how people relate to it? And how do we move through it? And the more my um, career kind of goes on, almost the less I'm kind of involved in that kind of nitty gritty of the of the doings. And it's more of those, I'm finding those bigger questions that are kind of coming through, which is, is great. Um, but obviously they need to take other people with you on that. So you're not just this weird bearded person in the corner. Um, yippering on about kind of change and needing to do things but how how do we make it real how do we how do we blend it with the very real day-to-day necessities and again it's part of the nhs i work in and yeah i'm going to where's and wherefore's the nhs just open the, open the bbc sort of thing um but how do we how do we find those how do we keep that relevancy as you said how do we keep that balance and as we started the conversation mm. talking about what was on your wall and on my bookcase and cars and dollar cell phone numbers and all of that it's great being able to have that kind of 
home life thing but then what does that do to home and understanding everyone's everyone's relationship to home being so different that's the other thing as well um some people and again talking about like the um the backgrounds i've I've worked with people who are living in whichever bits of all over the country and where they're living is let's say a small one bed flat so i acknowledge my privilege i've got somewhere i can literally shut the door on at the end of the day um but they're living working eating sleeping breathing in that kind of one space and of course Mm. that changes and that it's interesting to see how that changes people's interpersonal dynamics how people's dynamics change when they're in community with others so we had a an away day recently in london lots and i don't know how many of us there were lots more people than i've seen in one room for years um everyone kind of there and it's just really interesting to see how people change and are different as opposed to the small segment of screen that we see with about yeah. backgrounds and, and that kind of one-on-one interaction and so on so yeah it's it is interesting it is sometimes difficult to know where to interject inject or interject as it were into those places but no, one, no one's fired me yet so i think it must be kind of going okay you're doing fine you're doing fine what what really struck me as you were talking is how much you've moved into um into what sounds like an organizational development space and so i know that you don't work in learning and development and in training and things for people so not that but in terms of the systems view and change in the organization and understanding and working on how to effect change because there's one thing saying we need to change and chances are absolutely nothing will change as a result of that except maybe you'll be disliked a bit more by uh, by a certain subset of the population right but there's um it's yeah it's definitely kind of going in your work seems to be going in that direction and and it does feel like quite a good home for you because because there's quite a strong element of internal communications obviously you know your communications is huge background huge part of your background um so yeah that's that's really interesting and the other thing you reminded me of was a podcast i listened to recently i've got a very actually very good new well new to me podcast uh, or a couple of months old to me actually anyway um highly relational by robert diggings robert's fantastic he's an absolute gem um he's a really 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 lovely uh man and knows a lot about what he's doing and um they're they're quite long they go about the same length as our podcast so i don't listen i don't kind of listen to them very often because i don't actually have a commute or anything like that but the i think the first one is about the powers of power of stories um nice and i can't remember the name of the guest but it's fantastic and and what I've really understood more clearly than I ever have done is that it's stories that create change. It's the ability yes. to tell a story about what the future could be like. Yes. What you, what you want the future to be like is the thing that creates change. Mm. I, and, it, and it's telling that story. So it's articulating that story for yourself, but then articulating that story so other people can hear it, feel it, see it, get involved in it. Oh, that's yes. that's what creates change um and i uh, while you were talking i i just really had the really reminded me of that because what you were saying sounded very similar ah, interesting. I, I should, i've been writing that down i should look, look that up but it does mm. yeah it, i love that piece about stories and it just makes me think and what you were saying then reflected something back in, in my head and i said well actually so social marketing behavior change is kind of a thing 
don't work in it much as much as I'd like to anymore. But that is all about creating change, and it is it is the system it's system level levers as well as kind of individual nudge. Use the word advisedly, but that kind of individual level kind of gentle shimmy, um, whatever. Mm. But those kind of big systems systems pieces, and yet you can't do it without story. I mean, certainly throw a a digital whatever digital bone digital stone into the, the internet you'll hit kind of 50 different blogs talking about kind of change management and so on all comes back to vision all comes back to what is that story because if you start with a just like oh we're going to do a we're going to do a thing we're going to buy a new widget so well why <laughs> don't want to buy a new like like the old widget it's a the old heavenly fold thing whether we actually said it or not but um i think you said something along the lines of um Ask people what they want, it'll only say faster horses. No one would have said, kind of, we want a car, but then he created it, mm-hmm. he created cars, but then he created the sort of the stories and the mythology and the, I mean, fed into the American dream, etc., etc., etc. It's all kind of built on cars and then it's kind of destroyed natural worlds and urbanism, etc. Big rant. Um, it's always possible without cars, much as I do love them. Um, but that story, that vision, that setting out of the, the common agenda, the common goal. Yeah, it's really important. And it's great. That's the sort of thing I'm actually really interested in because that's when you kind of say, okay, what is the common goal? What mm. is the common end? Almost what is the end of what is the end of the story? When when we've gone through this thing, where will we be? Now I know I remember when we worked together um in local kind of local government and completely different thing, but we worked together really particularly closely, um, around the time of the Sean Mayor show piece oh yes disaster yes, um i remember the conversations of the day and then the, the next morning and obviously we didn't if you come in i just texted my previous team and it was like ah, how, do we, how do we do this how do we do this but i remember us having conversations around that and going this will fundamentally change us this will fundamentally change where we're working and how we work and everything mm-hmm. but at the end of it we want to come and I come what it was we said at the time. There was a kind of conversation in the, the tea room, but it's some bits of it are stuck, and it's that sort of. I think we were sort of talking about that kind of community and how we can how we can express the values and how we will actually use this thing to create the new story. And then certainly mm-hmm. talking to other people kind of in the team, so like, yeah, this this is going to be difficult for us, insanely difficult for many difficult. other people, of course, but it's very difficult for us. But actually, our common purpose, our common narrative is whatever the common narrative that we we took, landed on at the time. And yeah, it's just it is just so important. You can't you can't get away from story. You can't go away from vision. Especially when doing sort of change and, and big stuff. Um mm. and yeah, it's and it's, the, it's the ties that bind. We are we are story species. The... Sorry, I'm talking over you. It's all right. Rather rude. I'm I think I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Surely not. The time it's, it's the marketer in you. Yeah, yeah, probably. Blame the marketer. <laughs> I'm just coming back to that, the ties that bind. Ah. Yeah, because one of the things from the podcast, was it was the guy's name Stuart? Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, I'm just getting worse and worse at remembering people's names. Um, he said that, you know, if you, if you don't create a story together and don't work on it together, then you get everyone has a different story and they're all pulling in different directions. So okay. if you if you don't, have a shared story then basically it's going to be hard to go anywhere yeah. your your organization your community your family you're all going to be pulling in different directions yeah and it's it's interesting even where you've got um my kickback to things like that is usually like the military or let's be honest the nhs or the police force or something like that mm. where someone says jump everyone says how high because 
someone shooting at you or someone's covering with a, a limb hanging off that needs, needs stitching back on. But those individual pieces of command, and they're command and control, so that's a very command and control way of delivering mm. business, a very, very command and control way of delivering change. They work in specific situations in specific time boundary contexts as well. Mm. And as you say, you can't, after a while, you can't, but the meta story that they fit into, that's the one I think is really interesting. So it's a case of, I don't know, with the NHS, let's take the NHS and you've got someone come in whose who's, who's life is in peril and the consultant says jump and everyone says how high because that's that's what has to happen. But the meta story is that they're all there delivering care, free to, free to access care at the point of need for those kind of for those people who come in and actually those little stories of command and control fit into a much bigger story and i think it's really important to remember that in some organizations mm-hmm. not picking on the nhs which is members of the illustrative example but i think some organizations sometimes forget that they become about those instances of command and control delivery mm. which can't tie back to the purpose they're fine command and control is fine for a while crisis it's what you need um a few other situations what you need not very many but actually if you forget that kind of meta story goes on with it what mm. system does it live in what what's the narrative what actually is the bigger piece behind why you have to jump when someone says jump or whatever there can be a real disconnect now that, that could be difficult yeah well, it becomes very transactional doesn't it yes. when you don't have that overarching narrative or, or even if as an individual in the system you don't connect with that overarching narrative and it, it just becomes very transactional because yeah i was thinking as you were saying i was thinking the the story i imagine is that when the consultant says you need to jump i i and i ask how high i'm asking that because i'm committed to you know i'm committed to a situation where i we're as a team we're going to deliver the best possible mm-hmm. care and actually as a team in that situation where someone's life is at stake you know in the kind of hours or minutes maybe even that's the chain of command that we have to follow we've pre-agreed that that's how it's going to work and but i suppose there also needs to be a pre-agreement about the spaces and the situations where Mm -hmm. it isn't command control and there is space for more question and dialogue and you know and and kind of discussion and debate around what's the Mm -hmm. best way yeah absolutely and i think actually it brought up drag race weirdly in my head Mm. RuPaul, well, RuPaul. Makes, many makes an appearance in my, my brain, but uh, <laughs> it's, occasionally. But you sort of think it actually is really interesting then thinking about that kind of command and control structure and, and stories of change and so on, and how you get organisations who almost sometimes go the other direction, and it's almost so democratic, it's almost so flat that it's really hard to get anything over the line. And in those situations, yeah. it can be really hard and really frustrating. There's a, a great piece I, I post on LinkedIn um, talking about kind of micro, unintended microaggressions in the workplace, not in a kind of EDI, DEI kind of piece, but around some of the sort of unclarity. And so I can change situations, mm-hmm. for example, if you've got something really democratic, well, actually, who, who is making this decision? We can't all. Oh, someone somewhere has got to hold the responsibility. And that's mm-hmm. what it comes down to. The reason RuPaul came back in was... Um, as they come, they do the judging, the kind of he comes down to the final judging, whatever. He always says, "Oh, it's a bit of a script." Ten years on, it's like, "Yes, okay, we get, we get the script." Um, however long he's been doing the, the show, it's uh, what does he say? I've consulted with the judges, but the final decision is mine to make. And I think that's really interesting because it's not that kind of didactic command and control piece, but there's a real clear air then of ownership and responsibility, and mm. someone somewhere 
has to kind of carry the cap. And there are situations, yeah, where a kind of committee of, of whoever can carry something. But you need you also need that clarity, I find. And there is to come back to that idea you brought earlier of, kind of a balance in business and, and tensions between different things. That can be you need to find that balance actually. How how do we help everyone's voice to be heard within the system? Um alternatively, but also then how do we just get someone who goes, no, actually I've listened to all the things, mm-hmm. taken everything into consideration, this is what we need to do. Let's now move forward on our sort of shared story. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, balance. Easy. I'm really in in a really in, in this in the space of been thinking about and feeling about balance. And because we're all humans, not everyone's balance works for everyone else. No, well and that's the joy and sometimes the challenge of it, isn't it? Is that We've all, yeah, the balance for each individual in any given thing is different, often different. Mm. And that mm. challenge then of meeting people where they are, whether it's in a business kind of business context or I don't know, in a social change context, which obviously always gets me really excited, or in a I don't know, a room full of a room full of marketers and whatever. Um, everyone trying to sort of do their own bit of marketing or whatever, being able to meet people where they are along that journey. That's really hard. And that's a really, I find a really interesting skill that's not, it's almost, sometimes almost a sales skill. And sales is really difficult. Um, but again, it's not something that I ever really thought about hugely before I went kind of freelancing, consulting, mm. almost, almost opening my own business sort of thing. I think that's really, I think that's really tough. And I think it's a real skill to find. I, I agree with you. I think that is really tough. And um, that place has just fallen down behind me. I was, was going to say the universe has ended behind yeah, you. Yeah, that's it. The universe is flapping about in the not wind. For the, not um, for the bang, but for the slight flap. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, that really, that is difficult. Meeting people where they are is hard. And and that the the lack of that shows up in so many different places. So it shows up in, I'm reminded of reading um, Invisible Women by, again, the name's gone. I, that's awful. That's a really good book. We'll put it in the show notes. But Invisible Women by um, the fa- that fantastic writer. And designing interventions to help um, women, it was, I think it was women in quite um, quite deprived countries with, to do it, that was it. It was cooking stoves. Cooking stoves were creating a lot of indoor pollution, lot of oh, yes. particulates. Not good for the family, not good for the women and the children who were spending all their time at home, for sure. Um, researchers, you know, came up with ideas for, for, you know, like a new stove that would be much more clean and efficient and it would use different fuel. Um, but they failed to take account of the fact that the, the things that actually infl- would genuinely influenced the women's decision they weren't really that interested in an intent to them intangible health benefit that they hadn't really understood was a problem they were interested in how much the fuel was going to cost they were interested in whether their husband was going to say yes that's okay in my house incidentally they weren't because they didn't understand the new technology and it didn't make sense to them and they had no idea there was a problem um and they needed something that was going to be as easy to use as their Mm. existing you know kind of fire uh, arrangement or whatever it was so that particular initiative didn't create very much impact because no one used the new stoves 
And it's, it's that thing of you have to meet people where they are. And it crops up in product design. It crops up in sales and marketing. It crops up just in trying to just in trying to organize a family outing, right? <laughs> trying to agree as a family. If you, as anyone, I bet everyone listening has had one of those things like, oh, crying out loud. Can we just make this <laughs> one and go somewhere? Um, it, you know, it, come, it comes into everything. Absolutely. This thing of meeting people where they are and understanding that's... what someone genuinely wants and needs. Oh, absolutely. And again, for me, that's the with the foundation of my geekery and sort of foundation of kind of social change and behaviour change at mm. individuals, whatever. Also reminds me there's a piece read on I think commented actually Mark Ritson posted today because I think it was today, anyway, recently. Um column he's written for Marketing Week about synthetic data. So this is actually a thing. And basically his um obviously Mark Ritson, PhD professor, teaches mini MBAs leading light in the marketing world, very sweary, very funny, incredibly knowledgeable, um, but was basically talking about using AI to process vast amounts of data at scale and closing the re- sort of research gaps. Obviously, traditional research for product marketers and so on, it's taken a very long time. You've got to get lots of focus groups, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, ask AI the right questions, and it will scrape the internet mm. and, find, and find data. Yeah, okay. I mean, calling it synthetic data, I'm like, oh. And... The examples he got, interestingly, the AI results mirrored, they ran an AI experiment, um, he was reporting on a paper that had been written, AI experiment into people's uh, perceptions of different car brands and like plotting mm. them on a multi-directional axis and then AI doing the same thing. So traditional focus group and they were within a 10% tolerance. They were insanely close. Mm. And so his his point then was, well, actually this synthetic data that's scraped out of AI, that's scraped out of the internet, of what people are already doing and saying, cheaper, faster, potentially deeper than traditional market research. Well, yes, I think I might have muttered on about how wonderful it must have been for people who don't do maths to suddenly get Excel and spreadsheets and be able to kind of process 10,000 lines of data with two or three clicks, which is rather marvellous. do love a good spreadsheet. Which makes me think that because actually the AI scrape probably would not yield the insight that you've just described to the, that Invisible Women project. It would never, I'm guessing, it probably wouldn't turn around and have that kind of nuanced ethnographical understanding of mm. the real people in the place. And that place may not be somewhere where people post to the internet about every lettuce leaf that they cut. Because um, I'm sure that happens on TikTok. Who knows what happens on TikTok? Um, <laughs> but that kind of, but interestingly, just that then dichotomy in between the real, the balance between the real people to get actual real kind of insights and synthetic data, which is yeah, it's kind of good enough for ninety percent of things, ninety percent of the time, and so on, and how much you could could lose. So there we go. Bit of, mm. Didn't think we'd go get to Mark Ritson from there, but there you go. Oh, marketing roads. Always, always good to, Mark to bring Ritson. Mark Ritson in, and yeah, th- this is the this is the challenge with AI. Um, that I'm kind of interested in keep bumping up against is it can speed up, uh, you know, and, and make accessible and make doable a lot of things for a lot of people. It can. Um, we, and I, I, I'm my, I prefer person to person, you know, having conversations, being in the room with, um, reading facial expressions, you know, body language. I prefer being with people and their bodies generally speaking uh, that's my bias so um, I'm always fascinated to read about these kind of really detailed nuanced and fantastic use cases for AI and think well thank goodness someone else is thinking about those 
Um, and, and the caveat that I always have is that's great. You know, that is great. And it makes a lot of things more accessible and more doable. And what is the stuff we're not seeing? Where are the blind spots? Because what AI is also fantastically good at is um, accelerating and um, accelerating our dash headlong into what we already know. covering our blind spots um removing us even further from recognition of our biases you know the data told me there's so much data here um it's 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 kind of it's it does all of that stuff more efficiently as well as as it does the good stuff if you like so i kind of my caveat is always and yeah and what's not being seen here what's not being looked at where yeah, even just, you know, if you get into the space of the people or the objects or the landscape or the whatever it is, what shows up then that isn't captured or may not be captured or we have no idea if it's captured or not in, you know, the vast amount of data in the interwebs. Yes, exactly. And it is, again, to come back to that balance, it is finding that balance in between mm. the speed and the depth and the breadth, or the speed and the breadth, sorry, I've sure about mm. depth necessarily it's ai it's still not intelligent um oh, mean catty meow um <laughs> happy to take comments on that one but ai is i still go back to it's not intelligent it's synthetic construction of things it's smushing things together and as we found you can easily make chat gpt lie and just make rubbish up um with a few well few well chosen questions they're like it's like oh yes this person wrote a paper called this and if you actually reach out to the person the person's like nope Never wrote that paper. Nothing to do with me. Uh, so if, if we limit, don't get me wrong, it will it will improve. I, I don't think it's got the kind of generative, genuine generative capacity of human brain yet. It seems like it does. And so mm. conversations into the AI space, it, there's a lot there that you go, okay, yeah, this this is better than the old chatbots. I remember the old chatbots where you could work them out after six questions. Um, also the Turing tests, what, 10 questions or something? If you can work it out within 10. Oh, okay, not. within 10. I think it's I think Turing's ten. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean it is interesting. I mean my I link up things in your direction. My old school has actually just hired in inverted commas an AI headmaster. Um, oh, this made me laugh. This is brilliant. Yeah, so it's they've got themselves quite a lot of good publicity for it. Uh, everything from the they metro, certainly have. Yeah, they're in the Metro, they're in the Mail, they're in the Telegraph, they're in the Times. Look around and oh look there they are it's the school um, but there's also some bits in in the kind of tech press as well because it's it's capturing people's imaginations AI in the classroom replacing things obviously at the moment we've got the writers we've recently had all the writers strikes and so on in mm-hmm. America because of the the concern over the use of AI um, and use yeah. actually copyright as well copyright and AI is a, a really yeah, copyright big, and AI is a big really deal big isn't it that's I, really quite worrying it is and I do wonder whether it will reaccelerate paywallism in mm. different forms which i think would be sad I, I like the internet to be free i like being able to get access to information um could mm. a could ai and chat gpt etc reinforce the need to put good content behind my papers because people deserve to be recognized financially for the good content that they produce and journalists and writers and designers and artists and whatever they shouldn't have their work ripped by ai i mean there are obviously some court cases going through about that but yeah so the old old school put a link in the show notes yeah they've appointed ai chatbot called abigail bailey the latest oh, new give, principal give head name, principal head teacher I was like, principal yeah. Lordy. um but yeah just really interesting but again they're they're using it as 
a way of kind of finding wide information, trying to put together policies. And I think we've got uh, one of the articles about policies on ADHD and so on. I'm like, interesting. Where's the human in this? Where's the human to double check? Because again, go chat GPT fairly early on, you could train it and encourage it to give out really poor advice on eating disorders. Again, someone in the health mm-hmm. space did that quite quickly because mm-hmm. all it was doing was scraping. They were just scraping the internet and go, oh, these words about something fit together, therefore they must make a sentence and they make grammatical sense. But when you read it, someone someone posted images to something and they've basically been they've been goading Chat GPT into giving out anorexia advice, I think. And it mm. was insane because what it had done was it had taken the prompts, which were quite well constructed, I will give them that. You knew what they were after, but it had taken them and it had basically scraped all of the like forum content from and content from places that encourage not optimal behaviours, let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um and it was like, oh yeah, you need to do this, you need to do that, but it wasn't the you need to go and find a therapist or you need to go and find support or whatever. It was oh yeah, you can limit your calorie intake by doing this or people with who mm. experience live with anorexia do X, Y, and Z, and it scraped all of the, and I use the word pejoratively bad stuff, all of that yeah. stuff, and it and it wrapped it up in healthcare advice. So there's still a long way to go. I think it's interesting. I'm in school. Yeah, it's great publicity. Um, and to be fair, the, the AI and education conversation is a live one. It's a live one in the arts. It's a live one in, in a lot of other places. Um, yeah, it's again, it's really interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I I read that and I kind of it's. It is, you know, yeah, it's, it's de- designed to be, to create a splash. It's a private school, isn't it? You know, they, they've got to market themselves and, and and they've got to be, I'm, I'm guessing that they've got to be seen to be at the forefront as well. That will be part of their USP, part of, you know, why why they would encourage people to spend the money on their children's education rather than sending their, if they could send their kids to a comprehensive or to another private school. Um, and I, there was some really interesting stuff in there, but what, what it essentially came down to was they've brought in AI assistance and they've decided to call it a hire because that's much more controversial, right? So, yeah. the, you know, the head teacher was um, quoted as saying that, you know, great to have um, a facility for immediate answers or kind of to to be able to, he didn't use these words, but to bounce ideas about basically. And, and I find chat GPT is great for that, actually, as a, as for low stakes things, as a bit of a, a conversation partner or a sounding board, I find it can be really useful for that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, the, the head teacher's point was also that they didn't have to involve anyone else in very sensitive matters, mm-hmm. uh, at which I thought, well, hang on a minute. Maybe if it's that sensitive, you need some very compassionate and very, you know, kind of tuned in humans involved in this. All right, not just the world and their their kind of, you know, their spouses, pets, dogs, children, but, you know, but the right people. Hang on a minute. Um, but, you know, but there is a point there about, you know, having help with the decision making, help with gathering information that yeah but but the really that's the role of that's an ai assistant and and that's something that actually is is much more widespread i think than people realize you know the big four consulting firms are rolling out ai assistants to support their consultants big solicitors firms of solicitors are doing this they kind of basically do some of their data gathering they kind of might put put data into templates and things kind of getting rid of and, and easing some of the what you might call kind of rope work, mm. some of them really manual stuff. Actually, 
all right, you know, if you've only got human beings, human beings do it. But if human beings don't need to do it, it's it's very much like the shift from using computers who are people, um, which is you know what was happening in the early days of of kind of NASA and and space flight is the the people doing the calculations were were people. They're African American women actually. Uh, there's a brilliant film about it, um, and of course they were replaced by the machine computer. So it was kind of like that. and But the sad thing then is that what does happen to, you know, what does happen to that role and the people who depend on that for their livelihood, this is kind of what's bothering me at the moment. This is the thing that's going on with the writers, isn't it? Is that mm. um, those writers, you know, what what do they do? And, and is their craft still valued? And I think, yeah, there are some big questions about that, aren't there? And yeah, too big for me to be able to pronounce on it, unfortunately. Not at this time, on a Tuesday, whatever day. Whatever <laughs> I can't, day that we I can't solve all the world's problems, and it is, yeah. <laughs> and I really, really want things to be clean and simple, but they, they aren't. So I'm just going to live with it, aren't I? Messily human, as we said. Messily, on yes. Wonderfully messily human. But I think that's it. I think it is about finding. It's about finding the use and the utility for these things. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not an, I'm not an AI naysayer, as it were. I'm supportively sceptical. I think I'll have to go with that from the from well, the sidelines. I, I think you need um, a badge. You need a badge that I says might, that. I might have a badge, but yeah. So I think, but I think it's that. I mean, I've, I've sort of got out the habit of trying ChatGPT. I've called called it out a few times. So I'll come back to you, and then kind of actually weirdly never went back. Never got very excited about it kind of early on. But I think it is it is that. What is the tool, and how is the tool used? It's like mm. the the piece that I'm sure we've we talked about it before, like in road safety, where people talk about dangerous cars. There are no dangerous, but there's some that don't work properly. That's a different thing. If it, if it's mechanically sound, the car is not dangerous until it starts moving, and it only ever starts moving when a human being interacts with it. Generally, mm-hmm. earthquakes, mm-hmm. earthquakes aside. Um, so actually, those kind of things, the tool itself is yeah. relatively neutral. AI, AI as a tool is neutral. So I know we, we talked before about who's programming it and what biases. What biases mm. are encoded within it, consciously or subconsciously, um, as we've seen with pretty much every other piece of industrial design. There's always a, always a bias, always someone wins, someone loses out of it. Now, if AI is is neutrally planned and and takes all of those kind of equity and and diversity and inclusion considerations properly, then again, it's at the time for the moment until Skynet gets released. It's just it's just a tool. It's a it's a thing. It depends how we do with it, and I think mm. it can be used. Yeah, it can be used to lift up, like you were sort of saying, if we've got the rope work of just digging through dusty old law books and so on, if that is taken away, what does that assist those people who would have been doing it or what does that empower them to do? What does that open up for them? Mm. Or, or mm. Yeah. Does, it op- does it open up, does, does, does the firm turn around and go, okay, we've not got so-and-so doing this really dusty law book revision. Actually, we can give them something else. Or they go, well, yeah, thanks very much. We'll just save the save the money. How does that work? Yeah. And that's a broad, that's like a late stage capitalism that's a, discussion. That's that, a big debate, oh, isn't it? That's even that's even bigger. And again, is is AI a tool of late stage capitalism? Oh well, that sounds like uh, sounds like I'm... a university final level essay question I've... to me. I might just go back <laughs> to my thir- masters. I might just go back to my thirty year old stuffed kitty on the shelf. That's <laughs> basically where we started, mm. but yeah, that's a that's a big one. But yeah, so uh, that's that. Interesting. Just, but it is that it, it is that thinking, and I think to go back to the school when they do say um, towards the end of the article, which probably the, the show notes they are saying it's not used to replace; it's used to augment. So I think that's that's yeah. the power. It's the 
it's the better spinning wheel. It's the better shoe. It's the it's the better vehicle. It's the better home insulation or whatever. It augments things that are happening already. As long as we don't lose that human connection in the middle, that's the, well. That and that's, that's the, the thing that bothers me. me. And I do. This is probably me at my most skeptical. Um, which I try not to be too skeptical, but I do wonder how much of what's driving the use of AI is trying to find answers to our to challenges in the wrong place. And that you know there are some fundamental things about being human that are painful. Mm. uncomfortable not so much fun now there's a lot of fun and joy there's some fundamental things that aren't so much fun and joy and i do wonder how much ai and and other technologies are how much are they supporting us and how much are they about finding either answers or to these difficult things where we're not really going to find them essentially distractions so you know if ai is an agent of of uh, accelerated growth I don't know that I don't know that more growth is what we need as uh, hmm. as a species, honestly. So, and I think you were pointing to this when you talked about late stage capitalism as well. So, yeah, I think um, the cycle of growth. Yeah. Oh, all the big questions at the end of <laughs> at the end of this episode. We're going to have to wrap it up, Neil. Otherwise, I don't I know. know. Maybe the, we'll end up eating ourselves somehow. I know, or the universe will fall off your world again. <laughs> That's going to happen anyway. <laughs> I destroyed the universe. It's my fault. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's universal note. I'm not sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my brain! I tell you, but, oh, it's 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 always it's a joy and a pleasure and a mind in mind expansion. Yes, true. <laughs> yes, little... truly, mind expanding and and just wonderful, wonderful to just explore a lot with you this evening more even more exploratory and explorative than usual i think somehow somehow it has been yes more more of a voyage more of a journey more of an unfurling experiment unfurling experiment that's just so you that's wonderful (laughs) best cool well that feels like a place to end episode 29 and we barrel forward into a whole new series of digits oh my goodness wow 30 just before Christmas as well. Look at that. Blimey. Almost like I it's planned. To it. On that happy note, have a wonderful few weeks. We shall do it all again shortly. Indeed, yes. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.